0: Hello, hello and welcome once again to the podcast of tech.eu. You're currently listening to episode number 178. I am your host, Robin Walters. I'm the founder of tech.eu, and filling in for the time being for André Deghler from our team, who will be back on podcasting duty in August. First of all, I would like to congratulate ourselves for exactly five years of podcasting to the day. On the 20th of July, 2015, Neil Murray and one of our co-founders, uh, Roxane Verzin, published the first edition of this podcast talking about things like how the financial crisis in Greece uh, was affecting startups in the country and Uber and Airbnb's legal struggles in places like France and Spain. They were much simpler times, weren't they? Uh, Anyway, we're now nearing about 200 episodes in total and having a lot of fun with it in the process. Here's to at least another five years of TechU podcast and thank you so much for listening. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but this week was actually insanely busy in terms of news, Uh, despite the fact that we're already well into July, which used to be a slower month due to summer vacation and all that. uh, But that seems to be no longer the case. And to give you an idea of how profoundly this has changed, allow me to talk about some of the biggest stories we picked up over at TechEU this week. After that, you can also enjoy a recent interview with Oskar Werner. He's the CEO of Cinch, a cloud communications platform company based out of Stockholm, Sweden. But first, as promised, an overview of some of the biggest news in European tech from the past week. Arguably, the biggest news was Apple's victory in its pretty epic fight against a $14.8 billion back-tax bill in Ireland. On Wednesday morning, the EU's General Court annulled a 2016 decision by the European Commission's Antitrust Division that had found Ireland had, for years granted Apple illegal state aid by letting it effectively pay very little corporate tax on its European profits, as little as 0.005% in 2014. The Commission's 2016 decision was a bombshell, not only due to the size of the bill, but also because the competition commissioner, Margrethe Vestager, was using antitrust law to tackle a tax issue. You see, European regulators have long been trying to get big tech firms, and that means especially the American tech giants, of course, to cough up more tax. and this seemed like a nicely creative way to do that. But, according to the general court, the commission blew it. The Luxembourg-based court said the commission didn't sufficiently demonstrate that Ireland had given Apple's Irish subsidiaries a particular advantage over other companies. Interestingly, it wasn't just Apple that had tried to get the commission's decision overturned, but also Ireland as it would like to keep its corporate tax rate safe, because it of course attracts some of the world's biggest tech firms to set up their international or at least European headquarters in the country. Worth noting, the European Commission can still appeal to the Court of Justice, which is the highest authority on questions of law. Most observers expect the Commission to do exactly this, which means the case could drag on for a few years longer than it already has. Stay tuned. And we're going to stay on the topic of European institutions and landmark decisions as Europe's highest court this week struck down the agreement by which companies operating in the European Union are allowed to transfer data to the United States. The court has ruled that the agreement leaves European customers' data too exposed to US government surveillance. The agreement, which is known as Privacy Shield, has been in place since 2016 and more than 5,000 companies operate under its terms today. Boiled down, the Court of Justice of the European Union ruled that U.S. law is too weak to protect EU citizens' data to the extent that EU law effectively demands. As a result of the case, U.S. companies doing business in Europe or handling data from European clients would either have to negotiate new individual data handling arrangements with the EU or stop porting data from European operations into the U.S. altogether. The ruling applies to data that companies such as Facebook move around to U.S. servers for internal reasons, but it does not affect uh, necessary data transfers such as take place when someone in Europe sends an email to a recipient in the U.S., books a flight or a hotel on the U.S. website or does something equally mundane. Moving on to some notable startup news, or in this case, rather scale-up news, UiPath has raised a whopping $225 million in funding at a so-called Decacorn valuation of $10.2 billion to be exact. UiPath, even though it is now headquartered in New York City, was started in Romania and is the leader in the field of robotic process automation, or RPA. The company's CEO, Daniel Dines, says the funding will be used to scale UiPath's platform and deepen its investments in AI-powered innovation as it expands its cloud software as a service offerings. The round, which brings UiPath's total raise to about $1.2 billion, will also likely lay the groundwork for future strategic deals following UiPath's acquisition of startup Stepshot and Process Gold in October 2019. If you're interested in this topic, we had a very good guest post this week uh, from Tom Hendrickson from uh, VC firm OpenOcean uh, about intelligent enterprise automation. I will add the link to the show notes of this episode uh, so you can check it out for yourself. But it is closely related to UiPath and its recent funding round. And then a news story that was largely overlooked by English-speaking media outlets, but the El Español newspaper reported last week that Chinese internet services giant Alibaba is in the early stages of negotiating a purchase of Glovo, the Spanish on-demand courier service startup that purchases, picks up, and delivers products ordered through its mobile app. Interestingly, Berlin-based food delivery platform company Delivery Hero also said it is holding regular discussions with other food delivery companies about potential deals, including Glovo, according to a Bloomberg report. Delivery Hero is actually a substantial investor in Glovo, so it knows the business quite well. Other major companies in this space, including Uber and Deliveroo, have been rumored to have been sniffing around Glovo in the past as well, so we'll see what happens next on that front, but definitely some interest in Glovo these days. And then there was some major news out of the UK, as the British government said this week that it would bar telecom companies from purchasing new equipment made by China's Huawei for their 5G networks in a further sign of the deteriorating relations between Beijing and the West. I'm not going to dwell on this story for too long, but it's too interesting not to mention here. The UK decision will make purchases of Huawei equipment for the country's 5G networks illegal from the end of this year and gives carriers until the end of 2027 to strip out existing Huawei gear from 5G networks. It's a pretty sharp about-face by the UK. Only six months ago, it said it could manage the risks of UAE's presence in 5G and an apparent direct consequence of new U.S. sanctions on the Chinese company. It marks a significant victory for the U.S. policy and is likely to increase pressure on other countries to follow suit. The decision follows British condemnation of China's imposition of a new security law over the former British territory of Hong Kong as well. A growing body of British lawmakers from the ruling Conservative Party have been pressing the government to take tougher action against China and recognize it as an adversary. And then some other rather overlooked acquisition news over in Germany as remote connectivity software maker TeamViewer announced that it has agreed to acquire peer Ubimax to expand its offering in augmented reality and the Internet of Things. The transaction, which is actually the first in TeamViewer's history, values Ubimax, which develops augmented reality software and wearable computing devices for industrial usage, at some 136 million euros, which will be paid in cash and shares. Ubimax says it serves more than 200 customers today, including some blue chip companies such as Deutsche Post, BMW and the Coca-Cola bottling company. And now let us move on to the recent interview Andre did with Oskar Werner. He's the CEO of a Swedish company called Cinch, which has built quite a robust cloud communications platform. Enjoy.
1: Cinch, a huge company, if I'm not mistaken, its market cap is 3.6 billion euros now, right? Something like that.
2: (laughs) I I don't check it daily, but it's in in, in that region, possibly.
1: But I I have to say, it's not like I hear this uh, company name every time, like uh, not at all. So uh, can you just maybe start by uh, giving me like a good way of uh, describing uh, what Cinch does uh, within like a minute or two minutes? What is it that you're doing? Sure, it's pretty straightforward.
2: I mean, Cinch uh, provides, we're a cloud communications company. So we provide enterprises that want to communicate with their consumers via voice services, uh, video, uh, video services, or messaging services. So take an example. You have an app, say a ride-hailing company, um, that wants to have a call from an app to phones. We would do that. You're an uh, online doctor who wants to do the video link uh, in order to communicate with your patients or say you're an airline that wants to do messaging or you know deliver you know deliver notifications that your uh, flight is cancelled or tickets via messaging can be can be whatsapp can be rcs can be wechat uh, or can be text messaging uh, to your consumers then we provide a cloud based services to provide those services
1: right so do you, do you own any sort of communications capacities, uh, communications channels yourselves, or do you just uh, sort of connect in uh, whatever needs to be connected?
2: Uh, well, that depends what you mean with owning. I mean, we own the cloud-based software, so make you as an enterprise able to communicate with any consumer in the world via any channel globally. We do 40 billion transactions, and if you think about that, that's about you know, seven transactions per human on the planet.
1: A different transaction?
2: A transaction okay. is a, or communications. It could be either a message sent to you, mm-hmm. could be a voice call or a video call, and you count each, each session at a voice call as one, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that means it's a huge number of transactions. We, we communicate to almost everybody globally, and we do. we touch probably your phone on average 10 times a year. In our big markets, it's probably between 15 to 20 times on average per phone. So that's that's kind of the scale that we are, and we provide that ability to communicate to enterprises. So we own the cloud-based software, and then we obviously don't own, if we communicate via the WhatsApp here, we obviously don't own Facebook, I mean, needless to say here, right? And, and, and if we communicate via text message, we obviously don't own uh, Vodafone or AT&T or Verizon, you know, uh, needless to say either. And if we communicate via voice, we don't own the operator network that makes it possible, but we own the cloud-based software and make it, make it possible to do
1: Right, and you've been around since two thousand and eight, as far as I can see. Uh, so I guess a lot has changed in this industry since then. So, uh, so what did you start with, and what was your product at the start, and how has it changed uh, over time? Then,
2: it's a, well, it's a very good question. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. And uh, this is this market is born, and I think Synch is also born out of text messaging. You know, the messaging portion of this market is born out of text messaging, and text messaging started in the early 2000s uh, of the notion of, hey, with text messaging, you can reach 100% of the mobile phones on the planet. You have a 98% open rate and you have a 95% read rate within two minutes.
1: I wish I had this with my new le- newsletter.
2: Exactly. That's, that's, there's no other digital communication channel that has that type of power. And the reason for that is very simple. It's very personal. It gets to your pocket of everybody on the planet. That. Power has made enterprises realize, such as yourself, by the way, I mean, enterprise realize, for certain time-critical information that is highly valuable to the user, text messaging is a big channel, is a good channel. And they moved portion of the email traffic over to text. They have to pay for it, but they get, uh, they get a higher open rate, basically. On the other hand, you've got to be very careful to consumers because... If you do like marketing-oriented stuff, people will be, you know, frustrated because it beeps in their it beeps, beeps in their pockets, right? On the other hand, getting a ticket from your airline that you just order—that's part of a purchase process—and you don't get, or getting a reminder for your dentist—you don't get pissed. You see that as a service, right? So, so you got to pick the right services. But for those, this mess market has grown to an eighteen billion dollar market globally. Shoot market, I can call the banks in in, in Cambodia and they would be using using text messaging, right? And then you can go to voice. This is like an in-app or or from the app calling that has also been more and more prevalent or video, obviously, with the events of 5G and 4G. I mean, all these online doctors, that's kind of growing on the tech shift there. Then what's happening now on on the tech shift in messaging is new channels that are richer than text messaging is making its way through and see that using WhatsApp or a technology called RCS or using WeChat, and the difference here suddenly becomes, well, with text, you have 160 characters. With WhatsApp or via RCS or WeChat, you can send pictures, you can send videos, you can send action buttons, so you actually can clickable, you get better data on your delivery rates. So basically, think about it like you can send an app to your mobile phone with the same open rate as you have a text, but the functionality of an app. So imagine the airline is going from, hey, you're at the airport today to yesterday, you may have gotten an email saying, hey, your flight is canceled, and you didn't read it because you were at the airport. Today, I mean, you'll get a text saying, hey, your flight is canceled, and you read it. Tomorrow, you're going to get a WhatsApp or RCS or WeChat saying, hey, your flight is canceled. These are your three options for rebooking. Click one, boom. These are your three hotels uh, that are uh, that is possible for for click one, boom. And this is a meal voucher. Go to any of these stores. To you as a consumer, that's probably 10x more valuable because you get faster rebooking. Um, to the enterprise, it's probably 10x more valuable because, A, you're going to be a happier customer, and, B, they don't need to spend $5 on the customer care call. Um, and they don't need to have you stand in line, and they get you rebooked faster. So... That's the event. So basically, being able to send apps um, uh, in a, in a text message, right in a message,
1: right. And just out of curiosity, so of all the uh, text messages uh, or like uh, uh, either through WhatsApp or uh, through any other channel, how big is the share of uh, SMS messages still right now for you? I mean,
2: in the global market, I mean, text messaging is a huge market. It's still the lion's share of everybody's really? revenue. You know so 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 that's the vast majority of the messaging portion. Then voice, I mean, if you look at the market, text messaging or messaging is eighteen billion dollars um, um, and voice is 15 and video is maybe three. So these channels are big, but in terms of messaging, most go via text, primarily because it takes time for enterprises to switch. And then it's a penetration question. And everybody doesn't have WhatsApp. Then you need to commun- combine like WhatsApp and Kakao Talk and, and Facebook Messenger, and has SMS with the LinkedIn landing page and what have you. So it's a slightly more complex picture because it doesn't have a full, comp- you know, full penetration. But much more powerful if you go if you want to if you want to have a high, highly interactive service with the consumer.
1: Right. You know, every time I think about uh, I think about text messages now, I uh, remember that back in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, Twitter would still send you a, a text message for every tweet in your timeline. Every tweet that people who uh, whom you're following would send out, everything would come to your mobile phone as a text message. Th- that's got really quickly because I think Twitter realized that it was expensive as hell, but... Uh, it still happens. Really uh, I, I think they realize that as well, right? But that's also the beauty. I mean, you have to pay with it for
2: this channel, so it cleans out a lot of spam because it's much more expensive to spam by any of these channels, right? And they're kind of more controlled than email. So, um, I mean, in, in the US, you need to, su- you know, submit a, each campaign to the carrier and the carrier approves them before you can go. So it's kind of a controlled channel as opposed to email, which is open, which takes away a lot of spam. And if you do spam, I mean, you're going to get caught and you're going to get shut off. So it's it's much more controlled, which is a benefit um, of the channel.
1: Right, that's true.
2: The next thing that is happening, these are the new channels. The next thing that is happening is the new software layers on top of the channels. So imagine then, well, we, we're doing this communication for, for for take take the airline, you know, and we're doing that communication. And then the airline comes back to us and says, hey, a lot of people are actually answering us. You have all these new rep- no replies, right? But a lot of people are answering us. Are we just going to throw away those answers or are we going to do anything with them? So then we get requested from like AI services, you know, all these messages coming back. First, can we have a back channel, but then can we also interpret those? Can you guys surprise, gals and guys surprise surprise with with an AI service that that interprets the intent via NLP of the actual content of the message? And that becomes like a software module on top of the actual communication channel. Which can go via voice and video and that's why you required chat layer for example who has that type of software value add or it can be hey yesterday i needed to do my developers to connect to via an api in in a code based but i also want the web-based format so my cmo and the, and the marketing organization can create the messages there via all channels and that's why we required you know my elephant so there's a lot of like Software value adds on top of the communication channels that this market is going into, and it's turning into a, a SaaS, uh, you, know, you know, just a, a, you know, um, a SAS model.
1: Right, yeah, that's a really interesting transformation. Now, let's get back to Cinch and uh, how big is it in terms of uh, employees? How many people do you have in team?
2: So without the latest acquisitions we run about 800 people with the latest acquisitions of, of wavy and SDI which are not in we're, we're, it's not closed yet um, we're going through regulatory approval et etc it's run about 1300.
1: Right. Okay, then the acquisitions it is. And this is really a number that caught my eye more than anything uh, in uh, uh, in the email exchange that we had uh, prior to this conversation. And I really saw that you made six acquisitions over 15 months and spent $370 million US dollars in acquisitions just during the lockdown period. Whom did you acquire and why? What's going on?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Um... Uh, we can say why first, and then we can talk about who, or, or I can say why. I mean, uh, we acquired uh, SDI, SAP Digital Interconnect. It's a large messaging provider in this business, um, a global company, one of the longstanding players in the industry, a you know, very high quality delivery, uh, delivery uh, company. And they also yeah, have a lot of very large customers, um, a very attractive customer base. Then Wavy, um, one of the messaging leaders in Latin America, uh, that both have a you know strong innovation unit and a strong text messaging unit. Then we have TWW in Brazil, and then we have My Elephant um, going you know for marketeers basically mainly based in France, and then we have Chatlayer NLP company based in Belgium. Our strategy here is we acquire for two main reasons. One is technology and go-to-market. So maybe we find companies with an attractive technology base and the proven go-to-market that we think, maybe in one market, that we think we can scale globally and we think it makes sense to buy rather than to build, we would acquire. you know, And basically giving this team global ownership for their component, but we scale them globally. So to us, it's super attractive. To them, it's super attractive because they can suddenly scale in a completely different way. And the other one we acquire is, is on the on the on the technol- on the scale and profitability, which is more on the messaging side. That's typically larger companies, and there we the first one is 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 always I mean the the customer base and the people. If we get a good customer base and good people, and um, that expands in, to into South America or or a you know, bigger base in the U.S. or you know those those two things but then it's also you know an attractive acquisition for us because financially we do pay a, a lower lower multiple than than we than we are valued at naturally because we're a global player and these are regionals or locals which have a harder time you know following on the tech investments globally so and that's the two kind of rationale for the decisions um, it may sound you know, to an outsider it may sound uh, very aggressive in in Corona times to do this. Um, on the other hand this is long-standing relations we have known these companies and people for a long time we've been in the industry for a long time so it's so it's known entities and people that we can trust and the other thing we're acquiring profitable companies all the largest acquisitions are, basically increasing our profit and diversifying our customer base in corona times i think most companies if they had the opportunity to increase profit diversify customer base during covid that's that's a good actually risk reducing you know um, um, action to take
1: right i also read that one of the acquisitions was made without actually meeting people from the company at all was that the case really
2: <laughs> now you see, um, so uh, we have all, we have met all the companies before the COVID lockdown. So we, we have met them physically um, and before the COVID lockdown. The actual transactions and the post-integration, uh, you know, the integration planning is done you know, un- obviously 100% virtual. But we have met them before. So all of these transactions were initiated before the lockdown. It's also you know, worth noting that these are, this is not like you know, suddenly came up. Um, it's, it's, it's relations we had for a long time. So, but then, you know, it's very special, you know, doing these in COVID times. Very special to do integrate. Typically, first day of the acquisition, we're there. We're kind of there. That's what we, who we are. We want to engage people. We want to learn. We see it as everyone coming into the company from day one is just as much part of Cinch as, and, and, as, as all of us who have been here a longer time. It's a core philosophy to us, so it's like we see no difference from, from the first day. So therefore, we want to be there, we want to get to know we're a people-oriented company, today we have to do that by uh, you know, digital means. Um, on the other hand, like I said many times, I mean, some, some things are actually better. I think our all-hands meetings are more interactive now. Typically, otherwise, it's one person standing presenting in front of a group of 150 people while 700 is on the line. And then the presentation gets tuned to the people in the room and not to the people online. Well, now we can present to the 800 people or 900 people in a more democratic way, right? And I think we get more questions back because people feel that it's that. So I think it's good and bad. And I think we as globally, we, I mean, all people need to learn what's what's good and bad from from this sad situation that we, that we had up in. Appian.
1: Right. So, okay, I see how uh, the COVID-19 outbreak has influenced your... Uh acquisition uh, strategy no, which it didn't at all apparently uh, but uh, how did it then influence you as a company like if you are doing communications then probably it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too bad for you right in,
2: in general in general you're right right it's our business is cloud communications and cloud and, and communications is is also needed via digital means in cover times i mean in general um we see that with us and we see that with most of the company space, that they're, they're continuing to do, you know, uh, pretty well. Um, and I do think we're impacted in certain segments like, I mean, you can imagine ride hailing that we said before uh, in lockdown, not much ride hailing. And uh, uh, we're impacted in retail, obviously, you know, and, and you're impacted in travel and transport. And. Um, um, but then there are other segments like e-tail going up. Um, mm-hmm. Our big tech companies are going up. Our our customers that are in, in cloud communications. Um, if you're customer is doing doing those, um, it's obviously it's obviously you know very you know in much higher value you know, volumes right now. So I think you 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 see sanction. It's more more by segment. Uh, then you see. I mean, it's obviously harder to make new sales when you are not uh, when you're not meeting people. On the other hand, you're saving on, on travel expenses and you're saving the environment, not least, very important to us. And, and, and you're also saving time and you can make more calls because you're not going to fly. So it's a little bit you know, good and bad. Um, um, and then, of course, we don't know the long term impact. The long term right. macroeconomic downturn is going to be bad for any company. Um, so therefore, we're, we're playing also cautious in these times
1: yeah certainly and that brings me to the last question uh which is so what's uh, what's the plan now are you are you uh, having more plans uh, on acquiring uh, other companies uh what's gonna change in your strategy as a company as you as uh, we are going out of uh, lockdowns uh, what's uh, what's in store so
2: I would say strategy doesn't change I mean strategy for us is is more on a three year horizon and so that doesn't change um uh, we we have however been more cautious on on opex investments in these times if if the economy starts and volume starts getting back then we we're obviously going to be you know open up more there as well um, so I think strategically i mean it's it's, it's the same play um and then I think there's going to be some long-term changes I think people will change their habits and we have things working better on corona and things working worse and then let's try to be, Let's try to make any change externally to to become better. Let's not let's not have the goal to get back to where it was. Let's have the goal to to, to evolve as 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 a company and also as as a world. I think um, how much travel can be avoided. Uh, uh, you know um, I mean, how much travel is necessary. You know can we save on the environment collectively by doing so? Or, and so I think there's there there is going to be long-standing change both on that area. I hope on the travel side, but also think on the on the um, there's also going to be an increased digitalization, right? I think this is a driven a lot of digitalization, and I think that's going to remain. It's like you probably gonna probably did you know one one years or two years worth of digitalization in in a couple of months here. So I think that's going to that's going to that's going to that's going to continue also after COVID.
1: Do you think we're actually going to get some better communications-related technologies uh, in the future because of uh, because of this uh, period of time where we couldn't really uh, communicate in person?
2: I always think I'm a positive person, and I'm a visionary, and I'm in tech, you know. So if you ask me if it's going to get better, It's it's, it's always a, a, of course, yes, you know, and I believe that. But I do also believe fundamentally that if mankind together has been home and communicating only on digital means for a period. I think there is a million, a billion lessons and a billion perspectives on that. And I think that will drive better communications means. I think it will drive new companies. I think it will drive new behaviors. Yes, because this is a global thing which is impacting us. And I think that will, that will drive a lot of a lot of thoughts and thoughts uh, you know, will drive a lot of new things and the things of those that are good i think they will they will remain and they will pervade and that's i think what makes it what's exciting about all these changes even they're, they're they're super sad as such um, but then you need to try to face them and live with them i hope also that we're going to see things like the non-environment and i I hope we're going to see things. I mean, the world trying to get together as well. I mean, communications, learning to do this type of communications globally. I hope that will connect the world in, in, in a better way, and I th- hope we understand each other better. And that's that's other kind of perspectives that I that I would hope, uh, but obviously don't know what's going to happen.
1: Right. Well, that's a great positive note to finish this uh, on. Thank you so much, Oscar, for joining today, and uh, good luck uh, with uh, Cinch and uh, all your acquisitions. All right. Thank you. Great mate.
0: And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague or family member about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by Sound Pulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. I am going to talk to you next Monday, still filling in for Andre Daigler. Until then, please enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.